I have served over the last few years uh, for our district, judicating at the Assembly of God Fine Arts Festival, and that's where young people work on, uh, have an opportunity to, you know, further their skills in music, you know, playing an instrument, drama, presenting art, poetry, uh, the spoken word. Uh, students present and judges give their feedback, scores that are 36 and higher, uh, those students are invited to present at the national level, and one c category is called short sermon, and that's where I met Grace last year after uh, her presentation, and I was one of the judges in giving some feedback to her afterwards. She did well, and uh, I thought she was one of the best that I had heard, but she didn't score enough to qualify for nationals. She was a little disappointed. I remember talking to her in the lobby and kind of trying to encourage her a little bit, and then I offered to, I said, if next year, I would love to coach you and uh, help you before, before the event, and uh, then I offered that to all the students, and she was the only one who took me up on it and got together. Uh, we'd been corresponding, and I said, why don't you come over to my house? And so, and so I can hear what you what what you got worked on so far, how far you are. And Grace uh, showed up at my house and preached in my living room to uh, my wife, who really needs it, and myself, and uh, to Bri Brianna and to Aaron Munz was over that evening. So that was that was the little crowd we put in the living room, and it was kind of a, a little uh, intimidating little setting. But uh, she, she did it and. And I gave her some, uh, we, we just talked it through a little bit, uh, theologically, scripturally, what she, the text she was working on. And then at Fine Arts, she not only scored high enough to get invitation to nationals, she was uh, the top score and got to present to the whole uh, festival. So her text was from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I emailed her a couple months ago and said, hey, I'm preaching through the life of David, and when I get to... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 in that area, would you come to Falls Church and uh, be a part of that this Sunday? So she's going to take part one of the message, and uh, so we're kind of team preaching today, and um, it's the youngest person I've ever team preached with. She's a massive 18 years old, and uh, but uh, I asked her if she would come here, and she said yes, and so will you help me welcome to our platform here, guest speaker for the first time. Uh, Grace Malsom. That's your cue to cheer loudly. Applause, applause, applause. Hi. Thank you for letting me come and share this. Um, I'm going to take you all to 2 Samuel chapter 6, but before I get there, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite kids' church memories. When I was in children's church, we had this song called, I Will Become Even More Undignified Than This, and I loved it. You would have all of the leaders, and they would stand up on the stage, and they would sing, I will become even more undignified than this. And then they would point at a random kid in the crowd, and that kid would stand up and, like, do a crazy dance move, right? Or try to do the worm. And everybody would see that kid and copy him while singing, I will become even more undignified than this. And I loved it. And I was reminded of this when I came to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, to start off 2 Samuel chapter 6, we have the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, basically it represented God's presence. But at this time in history, it had actually been captured. 
And after a long series of events and a long story, they finally got it back. The Israelites were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. It was, this was huge. Verse 12 tells us that they were rejoicing. We read later that they were offering sacrifices. You had this large crowd of people all celebrating and worshiping God as they entered the city of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, our viewpoint changes from this large crowd of people to one person, the king, King David. Now, in this story, King David does something interesting. He takes off his kingly robes. So now he's just wearing a linen ephod, which was a much lighter garment. It wasn't as fancy. And he put the kingly robes aside, and one of the reasons he did this was so that he could dance. Now, when I did research, I found that usually at this time, the men didn't dance. Usually it was the women who danced. And not only that, but when I did further research, I found that the original Hebrew kind of tells us how he danced. It wasn't just like a normal little dance. No, this was huge. It's like a whirlwind. He was leaping. He was jumping. He was going over the top, crazy, worshiping and dancing. So you had David, not normal attire, dancing, but none of that mattered because he was worshiping God. So you have the king leading his people of worship. And as they enter the city of Jerusalem, David's wife, Michal, is in a window. And she looks down and she looks at this. But when she looks at it, she sees David. That's the problem is she just saw David. She didn't see the worship. She didn't see the Ark of the Covenant. She didn't see the praise. In her eyes, she saw someone crazy, over the top, radical, undignified. Verse 16 tells us that in her heart, she actually despised him. But the celebration continued, and eventually David had to go home to his wife. And chapter 20 tells us her greeting. You can imagine it. He walks into the house, and she's standing there just looking furious. And in verse 20, she looks at him and says, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She is not happy with him. But in verse 21, David basically says that everything he did was for God because God's the only one that matters. And in verse 22, he looks at her and he says, I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. He looked at her and he said, oh yes, I went there, I did that, but I will not stop there. I will take it a step further for my God if that's what's required. And I admired him. I admired David. I admired his passion, his courage, his fire, his zeal to worship God. But when I took a step back, I realized that that's not the end. We still had Mikel over here, his wife. She's on the complete opposite side, and she said, you know what? Nope, we're not doing that. When she saw David, she saw him dancing, and she goes, no, he took it too far. He humiliated himself. That's not okay. She saw that he had taken off his kingly robes, and in her eyes, that was him symbolically laying down his kingship before God. And she's like, you know what? That's just too far. It's not okay. And ultimately, I think she was afraid. She was afraid of losing her friends, her reputation, her status. She was afraid of stepping out. And that's kind of where I realized I struggled. Because I'm in the middle of these two sides, and I have to pick a side. Which side am I on? And we all do. And I know that I should be up here with David going, yes, I will do it. I will go over the top. But sometimes I start to lean a little bit towards Mikel's side. And so today I challenge you like I've been challenging myself, that you will say, today I will fearlessly surrender all and become even more undignified for God. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of worship and undignified abandon for you, God. I pray, Lord God, that you'll bless us with a spirit of surrender, a spirit of fearlessness, God, that we can give it all to you, Lord. 
I thank you for what you've done, God, that's given us a reason to rejoice, a reason to worship. We thank you for your presence, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the backstory of the passage Grace introduced this morning, David dancing before the Lord, because David now, we've reached this part, we've walked through chronologically, Samuel the prophet, Saul the king, David rising up, anointed king, but still the, the kingdom's you know, divided and all that controversy. In chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, all the tribes finally recognized David as the unified king of God's people. It's been a long wait. It's been civil war between the tribes even and the anointed king of the Jews. He rallies the troops, literally. And in chapter 5, the armies of the Lord recapture Jerusalem and defeat the Philistines. David, for the first time, is in charge of a unified God's people and decides to begin this new journey, worship and celebrating to the Lord. And as part of that celebration, he orders the Ark of the Covenant to be brought to Jerusalem. Saul didn't seem to care much about the holy things of the Lord. David is aware of the mystical nature of the presence of God in this gorgeous golden treasure chest. We talked about two weeks ago the Urim and the Tumim and the prophets and the men of God and the scripture and all the things that uh, Saul had access to and David to hear from the Lord, but we haven't really talked about the ark yet. The literal name for the ark is the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. I know that's a long name, but uh, that's the would be the transliteration or our English uh, uh, definition. Those cherubim are these kind of holy angelic creatures there on top, where their wings are spread to- towards each other. That's kind of a artist's rendition from the scripture. There's a lot that that we ta- we can get from that. That it probably looks something similar. But as far as material possessions go, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And there should have been no greater material possession at this point in the kingdom of Israel. This box where God's presence had rested, it had been stolen prior to this by the Philistines. There had been a time in the history for over 20 years where the Ark of the Covenant of God was in the hands of the enemy. And when Israel got it back during Saul's reign, Saul had it stored at Abinadab, the priest's house, And that kind of makes sense. But David now, as a new leader of God's people, wants to establish himself as a different kind of a leader. That's why he took off his kingly robes and was acting like in a priest's role. I know some people think he was in a linen ephod. That meant he danced in his underwear. No, not uh, scripturally. Linen ephod was a priestly robe. But that would have been a common priestly activity that a royal king was doing. And then doing it in such an exuberant, radical way that Grace talked about made it stick really out like this is, this is really crazy what he's doing. But David is beginning wanting to establish his leadership, a different kind of a leader, one who's actually leading worship procession. Listen, Second Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to read the 11 verses before where grace started. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, rose up and went with all the people who were with him to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Benadab, who was on the hill and 
Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out in the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, accompanied by uh, the ark of God, Ohio, before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, all kinds of instruments uh, of fir wood on harps and stringed instruments and tambourines and cymbals. And, and, and when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And, and then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uba to this day, which means, oops, there he is. Okay, not really. It means the breach of Uzzah, by the way, like the mistake. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of God come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Everything that David's doing here seems to be with good intention. Bring back the symbol of God's presence uh, to have it established uh, among the people of God and that with the king leading this worship celebration, that he's a different kind of a, a leader and he has the intentions to seek the Lord. But then the oxen stumble and someone reaches out to steady the ark and they're killed for it and David is frightened. He admits, how can this presence of the Lord come to me? I, I don't even know what we did wrong. We were worshiping, we were singing, and yet God strikes down one of us who's trying to be a hero to steady this ark from falling off the cart. David says, don't bring that to my town or near me. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, Obed the Gittite, for three months. I kind of imagined the conversation after they're talking about, we don't know what's happening here. We don't want, you know, we need to keep this among our people, but I just, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. So the king's saying, I'm not holy enough, but uh, uh, how about you? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't want it at my house. I have little kids. What if my grandkids touch it, you know? Uh, you take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You take it. I'm not taking it. Let's get Mikey. I mean, uh, let's get Obed-Edom. Probably reluctantly, and out of humility or honor, Obed-Edom, probably being obedient to the king's requests, agrees to let the Ark of the Covenant of the Presence of the Lord rest on his property. It says, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. What do you know? That box of God isn't hurting Obed-Edom. It's not it's not Iranium. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not tight. T uh, what's, what's Superman? What's Superman? It's not kryptonite. <laughs> it's not nuclear. It's not dangerous. Three months, his household is blessed and everything he has. It's the summer of Obed. And what would it mean in your life if the favor and touch of God blessed everything you had and everything you did? I mean, Bumper crops, businesses booming, long-term fat contracts stacking up and deposits coming in ahead of time, cash flow beyond reason. Your kids are joyful and your son mows the lawn without being asked. What would that be like, Rich? Revival in your home? Kids doing their homework and walking the dog happily. 
The wife is glowing. The house is filled with praise and thanksgiving. Nothing is breaking down. Everything's smooth. No car trouble. Every meal is delicious. The mosquitoes are biting the neighbors. Obed's abs have returned, and his hair and beard are flowing like the silk robes of the king himself. It's all going well. So well, so divinely well that the news travels to the king in his palace. The king who has seemingly what looks like everything, and suddenly King David wants to know more about this Ark of the Covenant. Curious to what went wrong when they were celebrating a few months ago. David looks into it, and we find out why God struck down Uzzah in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. This historian records the same event as 1 Samuel chapter 7, but gives a little more insight. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Verse 12. Verse 12. He said to them, You are the heads of the father's house of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brothers, and that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to take the place I prepared for it. For because you... For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, not on a new cart. If you remember when, the, when, the, when there was a curse on the Philistines at one time, they sent it back on a cart with a couple oxen to pull it back, and it, it, the ark came back as if the, leave, as if the Philistines had taught them how to transport. But we didn't use the poles, David said, as the Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So this time, they're going to try a do-over on the celebration because they know what they're supposed to do, that the ones who carry it consecrate themselves as priestly and they're Levites from the lineage and they don't use a cart, they put it on the Asherah poles and they carry it the way it should be carried so that there wouldn't be any stumbling by an oxen. And I think there's one thing here I want to stop and reflect on as we end this service. That here is, I think, a very clear warning. That ignorance doesn't mean God will excuse anyone from the effects of sin. David and company didn't know the scripture. They were not familiar with Moses' instruction on how to carry, who should carry, and how it should be transported. But God still operates by his unbiased truth. He does what he says he'll do. He says, if you do these good things, you will be blessed. If you worship me in spirit, you'll be blessed. If you walk in your own ways and walk in your own flesh, you will reap the reward of evil. God is fair, regardless of who it is. Paul said in Galatians, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you, you wish. You, you have intention, but there's a battle inside of you. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery 
fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in the, in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You might be a young uh, person or even a very new believer. But God cannot protect you from the effects of sinful behavior. Yes, you have the grace of God upon your life. Yes, you have eternal assurances beyond this life. But your life on earth has certain mathematical um, you know, uh, certain mathematical systems align there, meaning that there are so many things that you can know about God and how to please Him and how to walk among others on the earth that will assure you God's blessing, God's protection, and God's rewards. And you know what? You can even encourage people who aren't even believers in Jesus to follow the principles of the Word of God because even unbelievers can get a reward from walking in honesty, from having integrity, from respecting and honoring other people. There's all kinds of commands of the Lord that, that you don't have to be a believer to implement and find that you can get a blessing, that there are people who give away their money and they're, you know, that they're, they're not even believers and yet their money's multiplied again. Fleshly, sinful action reaps a reward of evil as well. And as a matter of fact, David is afraid of God's presence when, when Uzzah is killed. How can, how, can the, how can I even be? I mean, David is finally king, worshiping God and singing praise, and then lightning strikes out of heaven. And God is too awesome and too holy. And David realizes his own inabilities, and he is afraid of the presence of the Lord. Jesus, the King of the Jews and the King of Kings, by His work has brought, has made a way for the power and the presence of God to now rest inside of us. Not just in a sacred ark between the cherubim, but believers in Jesus injected with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in our mortal bodies. Something that King David, on his best days, worshiping before the Lord, never experienced God's presence in a believer. That there is a holiness that we can walk in that King David, a man after God's own heart, never experienced. Will you stand with me? And yet, for some of us, it's a real challenge. Because for some of us, we're bored. In our faith, we're unaffected by the mystery and the dynamic of the Spirit. And seemingly just, we can appear like just like anybody else in the world. Unfulfilled and discontent with what we have. And I'd like to end with a prayer that you could Lay your hands on your own body here. You could 
put your and and pray that God would fill you with His presence. That's what I want to. I want to lead you in a closing prayer over your own body. That God is, because of the work of Jesus Christ, God is no longer in the box. He's out. And Jesus said, I'll give you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Lord, may your presence fill us again. God, maybe we've gotten caught up in fleshly, earthly things, and we're thinking more about the things of the world during our week than we are about our pursuit of you and our desire to honor you with our lives. So, Lord, we just lay our hands on our own vessels here and say, fill us, Lord God, with your presence. May your Holy Spirit dwell in us and around and through us and draw us into, into holy-like behavior, God. Give us, Lord, uh, your, your presence that, that pulls us in to times of worship, helps us see, God, all the possibilities when there are those that are just focused on the temporal and the situations and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But Lord, would you take your people into a new dynamic place? Uh, uh, maybe we've been there before, <laughs> but the path of life is we feel like we've slipped, uh, stepped aside. We've lost the wonder of it all. <laughs> We're not dancing undignified, not even close. We're just kind of standing around for Jesus. Lord, would you, uh, would you awaken us? Fill us, Lord, with your presence. The theme's been throughout our music, and I know we didn't even orchestrate that. It's just been all over this day. We give you permission, Lord. We want to be followers of you that your presence is working in us. If there's any wayward thing within us, Lord, that's restricted, reveal it to us, God, that we can confess, that we can be restored, that we can be renewed, that in every cavern of our heart, your presence has the ability to dwell in. In Jesus' name, and all the church said. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.sf.